Hello, Saints. Um, so this is the recording for Sunday the 11th. We are still recording uh, from home because of level 4 restrictions. And so for any of the other friends in the rest of the world that are going to watch this recording, please um, take note early on that if you have not been following this series called The Human Mind, then please go back and uh, watch the uh, previous episodes of this series. Because to watch this without the context and the background that we have covered, um, you'll find it extremely difficult to make sense of what we're saying and to follow. Okay, so very important, um, make sure that you understand the basic concepts that we've explained in the previous at least three teachings. We are talking about how the human brain functions, what we know about the functioning of the brain, and we are making the necessary connections between the functioning of the brain and the spiritual concepts that we find in the Bible. And today, we are going to look at hope. Um, very important concept that comes through uh, out of the Bible text, and a very strong, very powerful a spiritual dynamic mm. um, called hope. But it's not just a spiritual dynamic. It's something that has to happen in our physical being, in our psyche. It is something that... Um, uh, so, so what we're talking about is a, an interaction between the physical and the spiritual. Uh, spiritual dynamics combined with physiological uh, processes. And... Um, we are going to explore what hope is. In preparing for, for this teaching, um, I was impressed, or it was strongly impressed on me, um, how elusive this concept of hope really is. We read it and we have a base understanding. All of us will have a basic understanding of what hope is. Um, we've all operated in hope uh, we've all stumbled when it comes to false hope um, we all have uh, definitely walked in imaginary hope as opposed to a concrete hope but understanding really understanding or gaining understanding on what hope is hope is elusive mm. it's elusive in our uh, society and our normal thinking it's elusive in uh, the biblical uh, text it's there all the time but it's not explained mm. or at least not directly explained mm. and um, when you look just look at the functioning of the human mind the human emotions even trying to pinpoint the origin of hope, the place where hope functions, is extremely difficult. Mm, mm. Um, and yet hope is a very important driving force mm. for not only survival, uh, for mental health, for emotional stability, for healing. Hope is a very important driving force when it comes to healing, um, growing, maturing. Hope has a heck of a lot to do with love, with, um, 
with all kinds of factors that prosper and yet in itself the the hope itself is elusive mm. and we are going to try and grab onto it get a handle on it and uh, and pull it towards us so that we can have a look at it so our anchor scripture today is found in Romans chapter 15 more specifically Romans chapter 15 verse 13 and we'll read it together Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to read it again, but we're going to break it up. So, now may the God of hope, now in this little phrase, God of hope, first of all we see that hope is directly connected to God, to God's character, to God's person. This leads us to understand that the hope that a believer has must be different from the hope that the world knows as hope, that unbelievers know as hope, because of the fact that hope is here directly connected to God's person. So godly hope and secular hope, although it might be similar, is not the same as one another. I'm sure that makes sense. So furthermore, it says, the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So secondly, we see that hope is now connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the mighty working of the Holy Spirit. It is also connected to joy and peace. And the outcome of all of this, this that we see in this verse is it says that you may abound in hope. Now we're going to do a bit of a word study again on the word abound and we'll see that the concept or the idea behind abound is that something is filled to the point of overflowing. So in this verse we see four elements identified and they work together like chemistry. The first is it says the power. Of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it says that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace and believing. And then it says that the God of hope is the one who is going to bring about this reaction. And the reaction is going to lead to an abounding. So it's going to overflow. And the image we can imagine is like that of a volcano. But that which is going to overflow is also hope. So now we have the God of hope bringing about a chemical reaction of which the outcome is going to be an overflowing of hope and I'm sure you can all see the connection over here so what this means is that God himself the God of hope is going to within us create a substance of godliness and in us the substance is going to abound it is called hope 
So here we are again on the Bible Hub website looking at our anchor scripture. And let's go to the Strong's tab so that we can see a breakdown of what every word means in its translation. So, now may the God of hope, and hope is the Greek word elpidos, and in its translation it means hope, expectation, trust, confidence. It's from a primary alpo, meaning expectation or confidence. So, may the God of hope fill. And fill is the Greek word plerosai. It it's from the word pleres, means to make replete. In other words, to cram, level up, or to furnish, satisfy, execute, finish, verify. I want us to uh, pay attention to that word. I think let's use the word for this specific study. Uh, when we see fill, we're going to use the word cram. And that means to kind of force more into mm. this space until it overflows. Mm. Um, so may the God of hope fill or cram mm. you full of or with all. Yes. Visually, visually, it's a very good word to use for the concept. Mm. So you can continue with joy. Okay. So may the God of hope fill you with all, again, just to, to add to the cramming idea, to fill you with all, the whole, every kind of. Um, again, so it just confirms that concept. Joy, and the Greek word is charas. It means joy, gladness, a source of joy. From Cairo, cheerfulness, in other words, a calm delight. Now, here we have to pause because we are looking at the Greek. Mm. And we have a word that would be representative in Greek of the concept of joy. But we are going to have a look at the fact that joy cannot be, a, a joy in its purest form cannot exist without God. So, a Greek idea of joy has to be connected with something like cheerfulness. Mm. Now, cheerfulness is more connected to happiness than joy, but in trying to um, uh, translate biblical ideas, biblical truths, substance of true biblical spiritual realities, uh, in the Greek language, they had to refer back to words that would come closest mm. to that kind of thing. So here we have a word, um, uh, charis, that is representative of joy. But we do not confuse biblical godly joy with anything that is also true in the world without God. Mm. It cannot exist. So in this case, what has been translated joy here, we want to... Remember to signify the meaning of biblical godly joy and not the worldly idea of happiness or cheerfulness. Uh, very important. But we can carry on with the rest of the verse. Okay, with all joy and peace. There's the Greek word, probably from a primary verb, ero, peace, by implication, prosperity. Again, we're looking at Greek. Remember, they are using the Greek language to try and speak about Hebraic realities. P 
peace in its purest form can only be found in the Hebraic mindset and in the Hebraic understanding because their understanding they, they, it's the only uh, group of people on earth for the entire period in the, in the Old Testament that has direct contact with God that has direct influence from God in their culture, their life experience and their language and so we've got to be careful whenever uh, thinking in English Mm. Thinking from a modern thought process or modern experience, we've got to be careful not to uh, refer back to the uh, Greco-Roman ideas. Mm. We have to go further back and explore what peace uh, looks like within the Hebraic mindset. And the word for peace, shalom, gives us a good idea of how important this word would be. But in Greek, it carries the uh, idea of prosperity. Now that's not entirely unbiblical. Mm, mm. It's just in our modern mindset it has become uh, a certain type of prosperity. Yes. But in the ancient mindset it was simply prosperity was simply to be safe, to survive, to be uh, in victory of one's enemies. The same as what we find in the word shalom. Mm. So um, Keep that in mind as we carry on from there. Okay, so filled with all joy and peace as you believe. Pistuing. Pistuing. And uh, it's from pistis to have faith, in other words, credit by implication to entrust. Now, yeah, if we read. As you believe in him, um, the word it says it is derived. The word that is translated as believe is derived from the word pistis, and the word pistis is the Greek word for faith. Mm. So, with other words, the word believe and the word faith has exactly the same root, mm. which means which means it's basically uh, it, it would have evolved into two words because of different applications, mm. but it's supposed to be the same thing. Mm comes from the same place so that you may overflow and this is in our new king james uh, translation this was the word abound and uh, it says it comes from the word perisos to superabound be in excess be superfluous also to cause to superabound or excel and so there we get that uh, idea of Full to the point of overflowing. Perisos, over super abound. It is a, it is a very dynamic kind of idea, mm. so that you may overflow. Super. Abound. So we have the idea that something is done by God. Mm. God is going to cram mm. something into you until all the space is taken up by it, and it starts to super abound, overflow. It's a beautiful visual. Okay, my overflow with hope, LPD, hope, expectation, trust, confidence from primary Alpo, expectation or confidence. Uh, so, overflow with hope by the power, and power is dunamai, uh, force, specially miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, 
So by the almighty working, the mighty working, the powerful working of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Uh, he is going to cause us to believe more. So he is going to work in conjunction with the faith that we have. And remember the faith is an outflowing of his revelation of eternal things, Christos. And uh, he is going to now cram us full with joy, with um, peace in our believing. So there's this chemical reaction. The elements or the, the um, ingredients of this is joy. And joy here we want to disconnect from happiness or cheerfulness. And joy in essence cannot exist outside of a real vital relationship in obedience with God. Joy is an exclusive um, experience connected with God and God's goodness towards us. Happiness can come from our surroundings. Happiness we can derive from relationship with others. Happiness can even be uh, awakened or uh, activated in us through things, uh, through circumstances, through imagination, mm. through experience. But joy is exclusively connected to our experience in God, with God, from God, oh. Yahweh. So, He's going to, through the mighty working of the Holy Spirit in us, fill us up with joy. This is something exclusive to God. Mm. And peace. And we're going to have a look at peace just now. Because peace itself in the Hebraic mindset, Shalom, is also exclusive to Yahweh. Mm. Peace, Shalom, without Yahweh, or outside of covenantal relationship with Yahweh, is, an, is not a concept. It doesn't exist. And he's going to do all of this in believing, in our believing. And again, faith comes from Him, revelation from Him. So these aspects, elements or ingredients are all godliness. It is all connected, exclusive to Yahweh and from Yahweh. And this will cause us to abound in hope or overflow in hope. And this is why we are going to, in this study, uh, separate the godly type of hope with the worldly type of hope. Because mm. it's two different things. But now I just want to read a, a piece of scripture that shows us how joy is exclusive to God. Joy is not dependent on our uh, circumstances or the circumstances of the world around us. It's not dependent on how well uh, it is going with us physically. We're reading from uh, the book of Habakkuk. And we're going to Habakkuk chapter 3. And um, in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 is written, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 
I will joy in Yahweh. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels. And this is a very good biblical explanation of how joy works. Um, if you read through this chapter of Habakkuk, it is even says that he himself, uh, he shivers, he's shaking with fear when he sees how God is going to come in judgment. But his response is that even if there's hunger and calamity all around and nothing is well in this world anymore, it is not going to affect his joy. Mm. It's not going to minimize the joy that he has in the Lord because the Lord is his joy. And this is an eternity mindset mm. that is so beautifully um, uh, lived out in a practical way by Habakkuk. Mm. Um, so when it comes to joy and a person can do a whole study on where we find joy in the Old Testament and New Testament and what it says. Joy is exclusive to God. Happiness is something that humans mm. without God can create and can experience. Okay, but our study is not on joy. Our study is on hope. We're just saying that whenever we think hope, we want to remember that it's directly connected to faith or believing pistis, and we want to connect it with uh, it's directly connected with joy and it's directly connected with peace and we're going to build that out just a little bit but it's not the focus of the study mm. okay we want to get to understand the working of hope uh, within us where how does it work what's the interaction between our faculties, mm. our psyche, the Holy Spirit to produce in us something that is exclusive to Yahweh. In doing this, we're going to keep in mind that um, we have done a study on ID or id, mm. uh, ego and superego. Uh, there's a whole range of more complicated interactions uh, going throughout the, uh, the regions of the brain um, and so in the psyche there's a lot of interactions that's more complicated than just the uh, three created uh, constructs or ideas but somewhere within all of that we can respond to a substance of hope in us and hope is powerful yes very Hope is a driving force and hope can override um, our logical thought processes. Yes. So, when it comes to ID or it, ID is going to... Okay, so let's just remind ourselves. It or ID has no direct contact with the outside world. So, ID lives in a room without windows or doors. It has no direct contact with the outside world. And ID remains in an unresurrected uh, uh, normal person before uh, they are redeemed by the working of the Holy Spirit in Messiah Yeshua by Yahweh. Before this, the normal person's mind is that it works like this. ID or it exists 
within itself, unchanged. It is uh, the the personality of a newborn baby is only it, ID. That's what's there. Uh, ego and superego will develop later on in the developmental stages of the human brain or human psyche. So id remains largely unchanged in its basic working. It does have a uh, memory function where it um, continuously gathers information regarding reward and pain or discomfort. And this becomes a driving force. The main driving forces are survival, uh, anger or even violence uh, in order to survive, sexual drive and um, pleasure. So ideal ed functions on the basic um, platform of pleasure. pleasure. So if there's no direct threat or danger ID is basically functioning on pleasure. I have to satisfy my basic needs all the time. It doesn't grow and it doesn't mature. It doesn't change. It gains information into those two files as far as a range of things that will satisfy. So a baby might have the basic drive if I can have milk, I'm satisfied. If I can uh, be kept warm, I'm satisfied. If I am kept safe, I'm satisfied. Now, the ID mechanism is going to expand on the information, it's going to gather information and expand. And so we know that for a person that um, has experienced financial uh, riches, their file that contains um, information on satisfaction and pleasure is going to vastly be vastly bigger than a person that grew up on a small farm somewhere in the countryside, never travelled abroad, um, never drove a Ferrari. Uh, the file's going to look different, but the basic working is going to remain the same. And so, actually, the more pleasure we experience through the course of our lives, the greater the desires and the drive within it can become for pleasure. So you can have more to satisfy. And of course we know that um, when it comes to those that have been traumatized and and, uh, uh, gravely hurt, even had close shaves with death, became gravely ill, there would be uh, in the pain file there would be more information stored. So that's it, or ID. and then we know that a superego is the perfect picture that we have of our ultimate self. Mm. And uh, this perfect picture is, is created mostly by the influence of parents and society at a young, very young age. Uh, with other words, we create a picture of what a perfect behavior would be. Mm. Uh, uh, and we can create a perfect me, but it's not a well-defined um, profile. 
mm. not a well-defined profile at all. It's a kind of imaginary combination of all that I consider to be good and perfect. And so that becomes our value system. Mm. Um, and so superego is that. And then ego uh, is much more difficult to just define. <clears throat> because ego changes, ego grows, ego learns. Ego is the part of our brain that is going to consider outside factors. It is in, it is in direct contact with the world around us all the time. It is the one that's living inside and outside. And it's the connection between ID that's got no connection with the outside. And... Um, superego that really doesn't have the ability to uh, to rightly weigh up and process reality uh, superego doesn't process reality it uh, processes an, an ideal reality mm. and ego is left with the task to to measure up and weigh up things Ego is the part of the brain that's going to come up with solutions. When there's a problem, uh, when there's difficulty, ego will be working on possible solutions, possible way out. Uh, it's always finding answers, finding solutions. It's interacting with all the faculties of the brain, all the working of the brain to avoid discomfort or harm and to prosper itself. Mm. And so when we try, uh, in our effort to try and identify where hope would reside within the psyche of the human mind, we have to consider that the Greco-Roman idea of hope would reside to some degree in ego. Because ego, when ego is faced with impossible odds, with problems that seem unsurpassable, something in ego will force it to continue to find the solution, find mm. an answer. It will utilize the uh, rest of the brain, its capacity, knowledge, understanding, uh, learning, information, innovation, imagination. It will use, utilize all of that and focus it on the problem. It will literally, ego is the one that will go into the workshop and gather all the tools that it possesses and focus it on solving a problem. So, so often when humans are faced with hopeless situations, mm. the working of ego is the one that will find a solution that never existed before. Mm. It will come up with new answers to... Uh, solving problems because it has to it has to respond to ID's driving force of survival and it has to find ways not to harm the society around it according to superego it has to continuously find solutions find ways become innovative now can we then say that hope uh, resides in ego no, because if we look at ID in its the base, the base nature of man, 
ID will insist on survival. Mm, exactly. ID will insist. It will kill. It will destroy. It will fight. It will not lie down and die. There's something in ID that will fight against odds. That will, when dying on a deathbed, still gather its strength to try and survive. And so, even in ID, we could say that there's a substance that、mm. we could call hope. A driving force for survival, for prospering. A driving force that will deny ego. Will look at the facts and go, "This is hopeless." And ID will go, "I don't care what you say. I'm gonna, I'm going to prosper. I'm going to be successful." And you see, that's where we get a combination from ID forcing that hope onto ego. We find people、um, that goes on camera on the TV show、um, idols that should never have tried to sing. That's when we get that scenario, Mario. So there's a blind hope、mm. that resides in ID that helps us to survive. There's a more logical hope that functions in ego. Remember, we're talking not about the godly hope; talking about the Greco-Roman. Basic human hope. It is that driving force on the inside that forces us, that causes us to to rise above and go beyond.、And、then we find when we look at super ego. I mean, we are programmed, depending on where you grew up.、Um, we can be pro- programmed with、uh, moral standards and values. And hopes as values that could be、um, impractical、mm. and even ideological, so idealistic values. A normal person that's not basing its its goodness on the word of God and the person of God with a practical.、Um, A picture or view of how it's been walked out and lived out by the rest of the body. Such a person could be left with a super ego that's programmed according to ideals, and it might be extremely impractical or even unrealistic.、Mm. And so we have to wonder: Is there a form of hope that functions from that? Part of the mind, or is it a fluid substance of hope that flows through the human psyche, and、uh, is it a non-realistic interaction between ID, ego, and superego? We don't know.、Um, when it comes to hope, we can only construct. Theoretical ideas to try and understand how hope operates within the human psyche, and we've seen the power of hope. We've seen、um, people lost at sea, clinging to a piece of flotsam,、um, drifting in the open ocean for days and days, and yet. 
what is that substance that they say I didn't lose hope mm. people say I didn't lose hope all uh, all the mathematics that super ego are going to perform will come to the answer that this is hopeless and they will suffer they will cling to that piece of uh, debris and refuse to let go is it just ID that kicks in and says I have to survive um, what is that kind of working that we could look at and say it's hope mm. people would say hope kept them alive mm. hope kept me going but they never stop and define what this hope is so hope becomes a word for some unknown force driving force on the inside of humans so I'm, I'm hoping just by talking about hope in this way that I'm starting to open up your mind helping you look at something that we never pause to look at mm. um, it feels like something we know so so well and yet when we put it under the magnifying glass again it seems elusive and vague it seems elusive this concept of hope mm. and then we're looking at the opposite um, the feeling of losing hope that so many of us have experienced in the past. What causes this? Um, just if normally in, in, in um, therapy, if you get a person to sit down and just uh, what, what therapy is focused on most of the time is to um, stimulate the working of super uh, of ego not super ego but ego so a lot of times uh, what we do in therapy is we stimulate the working of ego because ego has the ability to look at things to look at circumstances look at facts look at data look at possibilities look at reality so ego has the ability to look at what is true on the outside then look at what is true on the inside or what it thought was true on the inside. And so through therapy, this is what we do in therapy, we try and help ego to see what has been happening on the inside might not be true when you uh, look at what's true on the outside. Mm. And a lot of times therapy is effective because somebody is helping ego on the inside to just re-look at things. Yes. recalculate and re-understand yes. yeah. and so when it comes to people feeling hopeless uh, feeling that they have no more strength no more uh, no inspiration um, through a process of therapy we can help ego reassess and come to a new answer and uh, to new conclusions and this could cause hope to spring up now, I know that for years, in a pastoral counseling, my uh, first session with people would be focused on one specific thing. I would find ways in which to help their hope levels rise. So mm. I was looking at uh, uh, just getting their hope to increase. So I could, without understanding exactly what hope is or even understanding because I've never done a study on hope itself 
without understanding exactly how hope operates or where it functions in the brain, I could measure in a person's responses whether or not hope was increasing in them or in their psyche. And we do that by working with ego to relook at reality, get a new perspective on things, um, even get a new perspective, perspective on self. And then if there's a little bit of hope, you get a different response mm. from the person. Now, this is all not concrete. And so when we are looking at hope, our only hope in understanding what we're talking about is to go back to the scripture and see if uh, the Hebrew language is going to do what it always does for us. Because the Hebrew language always gives us a concrete, uh, concrete um, uh, place to start, mm. a, a, a concrete um, place to come in touch with the true meaning and the true functioning of words and language. So, <clears throat> we have now looked at the Roman Greco idea of hope. So, for a person outside of God, so a person that does not have a covenant, has not been renewed and uh, resurrected, the hope, the idea of hope in them, the functioning of hope is a physiological survival tool. <coughs> and it is focused on responding to the reward file. Mm -hmm. And it is focused on responding to the pain file and making sure that pain is avoided and as much reward as possible can be gained. And that's basically what hope would operate on. Right. But for a resurrected person, we have now seen in this piece of scripture, uh, in Romans, that hope is something that is connected to God. Because He's the God of hope. Which means that we have to relook mm. at what we consider to be hope. We know there's this driving force in us. We've all seen a significant increase in hope after baptism. Mm -hmm. That's one of the um, undeniable things that happen after baptism in people. For many of us, uh, after baptism, we didn't necessarily experience perfect circumstances mm. all the way through. Mm. It's not that everything just went, became easy and everything was blessed and it, there was no longer any problems or any obstacles <coughs> or any pain. But for people that have been reborn, renewed, resurrected, there is a significant increase in the substance of hope. Yes. And it causes us to respond to obstacles of pain or problems in a different way. And so we're going to have a look at the Hebraic definition of the word hope. Okay, if we look at Merriam-Webster's definition of hope, we're going to see that it is a to cherish a desire with anticipation, or 
to want something to happen or be true. It's very easy. It's basically inside of you, uh, the a desire develops. This desire can come from nowhere. It can be based on peer pressure. It could be based on uh, influences from your family, your parents, uh, society. But anyways, there's a desire. Uh, to cherish a desire with anticipation. Now, this is uh, very important. There's these two aspects that's going to work in. Here we see it says to desire with expectation of obtaining or fulfillment. So there's a desire and a vague or a very defined idea that it is going to be fulfilled. Now, this is hope. Okay. Now, what's very important to understand about the... Um, secular idea of hope is that it is extremely broad in its application so for one person they would have hope on a bright future because they applied themselves at school they have the performance the result that goes with the amount of work and effort that has been put in and so now they have a reasonable hope to also further themselves through further studies and uh, do well and succeed in that. And then there's a further hope that because they are going to qualify themselves, they can go into a promising career and have a promising future. There's, more, there's an aspect of concreteness to this hope. But for the general population, um, we can identify that hope can have an aspect of, of no concrete uh, substance to it. So for the general population, hope could be something that originates out of nowhere. There's no reason to it and there's no substance to it. And um, uh, to a very big degree, uh, a secular definition of hope depends on a lack of concrete substance and uh, this is where we're going to go to the Hebraic definition of hope because it within the definition itself there's an aspect of something concrete something real something you can touch and handle um, some ways to understand this for instance is uh, we have, let's be honest, <clears throat> in our society today, worldwide, we have a lot of uh, poor people. We have a lot of people in need, a lot of uneducated, unskilled people. And because of the lack of, un of skill and, and education, there is uh, socioeconomic uh, consequences. Uh, you find this in people. You could go to someone and say, look... Um, and the guy could tell you, I always wanted to be a pilot. And you go, really? So, um, so you're 40 years old, you, what are you going to do now? Because you're not going to become a pilot. And the guy might be surprised and tell you, well, I'm still planning to become a pilot. And you're going, okay, so you're you, you, you currently doing a minimum income, minimum wage job. Do you know how expensive it is to become a pilot? And he says, yes, but I believe. I have a real hope that someday I'll do it. And so his hope is based on nothing. And you go like, well, did you, um, did you finish high school? And the guy didn't finish high school. So you go, well, 
if you, or a person might even believe that one day he's going to go into law. And you go like, you know that you'd have to finish high school before you can actually go and study law. And uh, which means the, the, the evidence would be that the person never factored in uh, all the details and consequences to hope. But he could still be carrying the hope. And that's why hope in um, a Roman Greco uh, environment with a Roman Greco mindset doesn't have to be based on facts. It doesn't have to be based on a logical uh, process. Um, we do see that in uh, people that are not resurrected, not renewed, many of them have developed the skill, the mental skill, to um, base their hope on something more concrete, their own efforts or um, uh, their talents or their gifts. Uh, but uh, in most people, there would still be an um, idealistic or imagined aspect to their hope. So a lot of them could be somewhat successful in what they're doing, but at one stage it was just an imagination. We call it being idealistic, or it used to be a dream, but it's actually based on uh, some fictitious aspect of what we, how we see ourselves and our future and the world around us. And it could work out for some, but the reality is it doesn't work out for most. Um, obviously, the hope that we find in the Bible has to be concrete and it has to be a, a guaranteed uh, godly uh, promise. Because the hope here cannot be based on something fictitious. It's not imaginary. And this is where we want to get to. The hope that we see, when we see the word hope in the Bible, there's nothing imaginary to it. Where hope in the world has a huge aspect of imagination connected to the very word hope. Um, and when you look at for instance, a person that uh, his boat sank in the middle of the ocean and he's clinging to a piece of flotsam. Um, it is this substance of hope that can do extraordinary things in a human being. A person can cling to a piece of driftwood for days and days uh, in the open ocean without any hope. If he, if he did the math, and if you thought about this situation, there's no ships around, there's no, there's not near land, and there's no reasonable uh, way that he could survive without water and, and food, yet he would, he would cling to this uh, piece of driftwood for days and refuse to give up. Now that substance of hope within human beings could drive us to survival. Um, and it, it seems like a wonderful thing. That's the thing to do. But we don't want to lose out of uh, perspective the maybe thousands of other people in history that also clinged to a piece of driftwood and never got rescued and suffered for days and still drowned and died. So we want to have a balanced view on this kind of hope, this kind of hope that's a potluck um, uh, maybe we'll get lucky hope and we want to contrast that to biblical hope let's go to 
the Hebraic definition for hope. Okay, so when it comes to the uh, Hebraic definition of, of the word hope, with, with the Hebrew it's always a little bit more difficult to get to the bottom of the origin of a word. Because you've got to look at pictures, you've got to look at early um, application and the way that it was used. But it does give us an insight into the idea behind hope in the Hebrew uh, language. So tikva, which is the word for hope, comes from another word. And this word is um, kava. So kava, kava's basic action and idea became tikva uh, in another application, and that's hope. And what lies underneath, or what what basically forms the the substance of this uh, the word hope, is to um, is to bind together or to twist together, to gather together to look patiently, tarry, wait, and bind together or twist together. <clears throat> and this doesn't seem like much of a definition, but if you look at it in context to the Bible, waiting on the Lord, um, putting, adding one precept to another precept, uh, basically following God's principles, his ways, walking out his ways, living your life from the moment you wake in the morning till the uh, time you go to bed at, in the evening, living your life according to certain commandments and precepts. Um, if you take all of this into account, the basic Hebraic mindset, then the meaning of the word of uh, hope the, the, the substance of godly hope starts to open up to us. I'm going to try my best to explain it in a way that we can find entrance in, into the depth of this word hope. So God gives the Israelites the law. The law is a sequence of uh, regulations that's going to regulate behaviors everyday life. The purpose of these laws are to regulate or steer the individual lives in such a way that they flow together as a nation, as a people. They're all going to do the same things at the same time, in the same way, for the same reasons. And the purpose of this is to establish agreement between individual members of the Hebrew nation. So there's a tribe, a big group of people, and the purpose of God's commandments is to uh, weave agreement into the fabric of society. It is also to synchronize the everyday responses, synchronize the way that they think and the way they feel and the way they do things, it is going to synchronize into agreement their value system, what is important to them, 
what the, what they value, mm. uh, what they hold dear, how they they do things. So by the working of the law, the value of family becomes so embedded in their society. But not only the value of family as an idea, but also the practical way to live out the family the family values. So he gives them the Sabbath, uh, Sabbath day, with the Sabbath feasts. He gives them the way to that they would keep the Sabbath, and this is all focused on drawing uh, family members uh, closer together, and also drawing them into intimacy with God. So, what has this got to do with with tigva or or hope? So, hope in the Bible is like somebody patiently waiting tarrying and uh, binding together uh, different cords uh, to make a rope. And this gives us an idea of hope. So the person would respond to a desire or something that an outcome or a result that they, that they desire in a way that they start to um, to make a rope and to create something to hold on to. This is the fabric behind hope. So hope, tikva, uh, has the picture of a rope. So they're not just hoping on a bright future. By the, uh, the keeping of the law, and the honoring of God's ways today, they are basically binding a rope together and connecting it to the future that they desire. Now the confidence that their desire would be fulfilled is based on something concrete. Just like if you fall over a cliff and you have a rope tied around your waist, then you have hope. It's a simple as that. So they literally equated hope with a rope. Hope is a rope. In Hebrew. Hope is a rope. Now, if hope is a rope, it means that they have a concrete way of responding in hope. If I want my donkey to not stray, then I could either put it out in to pasture and hope that it will not run away. Or I could tie a rope around its neck or its leg and then I know that it won't run away. So hope becomes concrete. So hoping uh, or having a cherishing a deep desire for a specific outcome and having a confidence that you will receive what you hope for. That is something now that is connected to waiting on God, but not waiting passively. Doing the little actions, mm. putting the things in place that need to be put in place now for the outcome to be sure. Now, it, God's plan was for the entire Hebrew nation to see hope in the same way. Mm. Not to have a vague hope, 
but to have a, a work ethic, a um, culture, and an understanding that if you want hope, you have to respond in a certain way in the small things all the time. And that would give you something to hold on to. So now, we have a connection in our anchor scripture with faith, with joy, and with peace. And we have the basic idea that hope in Hebrew is waiting on God, but uh, making the rope. And then, um, tying that rope to the place where you want to get to, or the circumstance you want to get to. And we know that the idea of this rope is performed in them bring, bringing their sacrifices. So there was um, a commitment to certain sacrifices that we can see in some of the stories in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Keeping vows. Mm-hmm. Keeping vows, important way of making sure the, the rope is in place. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping the, the feasts. And keeping the laws. Performing what you have committed to perform. Mm. So, in the Hebraic mindset, a basic uh, fundamental aspect to hope is keeping your responsibilities and performing your um, responsibilities as well. So, if you made a commitment, then you keep your, your commitment. And so they had certain commitments Mm. that was the same for everyone. And so they could coordinate their efforts and their mindset. And so now we're doing this series to get to some understanding uh, as far as where renewing the mind is going to lead us and what are some practical ways that we can um, fast track our process of discipleship in maturing and in um, renewing the mind Mm. and this is where hope becomes one of those fundamental aspects to this process Um, because now we're going to look at some more hope scriptures and then we are going to look at how we um, connect all of this to the three amigos in um, our psyche and we can start to identify how perfect hope godly hope is supposed to function in us to do what hope is supposed to do okay so let's look at some more scriptures the first scripture we're going to read is in ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11 to verse 13 Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yahushua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. Now our focus, obviously, is in verse 12, where it says, um, You were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. <clears throat> now we know, we have taught on the fact that God only ever relates to man through covenant. So a human being cannot have a functioning relationship with God if there is not a covenant between them. So then it would stand to reason that the scripture says it in this way, that uh, when we were strangers from the covenants of promise, we had no hope and we were without God in the world. <clears throat> now, according to the secular definition of hope and what we've now looked at, we understand that the desires and the expectation for fulfillment are always uh, temporary which means that a desire is temporary and once it is fulfilled, a person quickly has to come up with a new desire so that there's a new hope for progression and movement forward uh, so that there's something new to be desired. But all of these desires are temporary. And every time one of these temporary desires are fulfilled, a person would experience a short while, a time frame of, of some peace, some clarity, a sense of satisfaction, <clears throat> but it soon has to be replaced with a new desire because we tend to survive on hope. But now according to our anchor scripture in Romans chapter 15, we see that the God of hope is going to work joy and peace in us so that uh, we can develop a substance of hope. And this substance isn't something temporary. It doesn't get fulfilled and then needs to be replaced with something else. Which means that the substance is supposed to not only be established in us, but is going to work it to such a degree that it is going to fill us and then overflow to the point of overflowing. And so we see that the substance of hope is completely different to that of uh, the secular world. <clears throat> so now to further understand hope and to look at the substance of hope we're going back to the scripture in hebrews that we always look at when we look at hope and this is in hebrews chapter 6. so hebrews chapter 6 and we're going to read we generally read from verse 13 but today we're going to read from verse 11 because the thought pattern of hope starts picking up here so from verse 11 it says and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Yahushua, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 
So we have this hope set before us. And here we get back to this basic uh, meaning or the basic uh, understanding, a Hebraic understanding of the word hope as a rope. Now, how does this idea of the rope work um, in the context here? So we know that this is based. Our hope here is based on our definition that we live according to when it comes to hope. The definition of hope for us is connected to a covenant. Okay, And the covenant we understand as the father and the son uh, cutting covenant or coming to a strong final decision and agreement between the two of them. And uh, the substance, the surety, the assurance of this agreement lies between the two of them as being absolutely faithful and mm. trustworthy. Mm. This is covenant. So the fulfilled covenant is basically they have fulfilled in their faithfulness what they have determined to do mm. and to fulfill. For us, this means salvation. And that is why our hope is in the name of the Lord, because His name is Yahushua, the salvation of Yahweh. So scriptures that speak about our hope and we hope in His name refer to His name, Yahushua, the salvation of Yahweh. The salvation of Yahweh obviously directly connects to, to, to covenant. Why does He bring us into covenant? When... Uh, it was only the father and the son in their relationship, perfect relationship together. There was no need for salvation. Salvation is only applicable to us mm. because it is humans, mankind, that had fallen from glory. So, we had fallen from glory and fallen from grace. Grace is inclusion in something, so they extend grace to us to include us in something again. And that something is their relationship, their perfect relationship. Their perfect relationship is based on perfect unity, perfect oneness, and perfect agreement. Right. Now, we look at the scripture, it says that this hope that lies before us mm -hmm. becomes an anchor of our souls. And this very beautifully illustrates that idea, the Hebraic idea, that hope is a, is a rope tied to one end and tied to another. And once we have tied the rope, we are secure. We are safe. We now have a reason to feel safe. We have a reason to have confidence because of the rope. Okay. So the first level of understanding biblical hope is that our hope is in the rope that he throws us. We were drowning. He's the one that says, tie the rope around your waist and I'll pull you out of the water. I'll save you. And this brings us to the calling of God. Mm. So the calling of God is he goes, I have a rope. It's called covenant. If you will stop depending on yourself and trusting in yourself, and let me save you, you can take the rope. And so our hope 
is the hope of salvation. Our hope is the hope in His name. Okay, so hope now becomes a little bit more concrete. But how do we connect this to the daily hope mm. that we are going to live in and the working of the Holy Spirit by His powerful working is going to fill us with joy and peace and cram into us hope until the hope overflows. That's what our anchor scripture says. Now in this piece of scripture because of the promise that they make between the two of them. Mm. So we are not involved, are we? No. It's not dependent on us. No. So we have hope because this plan is not dependent on me. It gives me hope. It does. What gives me more hope is that the plan for my perfection, the plan for my redemption, is dependent on their agreement mm. and dependent on their ability. It's also dependent on their dependability, their faithfulness. Mm. Right. So now, He's going to fill us, the Holy Spirit, by His mighty working, with joy and peace in believing. And this word believing is connected to the word faith. Mm. Now, so now we're going to make sense of all the elements of this chemistry, chemical reaction that's going to take place in us. It's like um, pouring... Uh, have you ever poured vinegar into bicarbonate of soda? Cause a chemical reaction. It just foams up and overflows. A mento into a Coke bottle. That kind of idea. Now this chemical reaction is, firstly, it has something to do with faith because believing has the same basic root word bestowed as faith. Okay. So faith is, according to Hebrews chapter 11, Him revealing to us His finished work. We see the first mention of the word believe when He calls Abraham out of his tent and says to him, look up into the night sky. Mm. He says to him, do you see all the stars? I will make your inheritance. Your children and your grandchildren, I will make as the stars in the night sky. Right. This now is God extending to Abraham um, something, an outcome that has been determined by God. He's not asking Abraham, if you will agree, let's do this. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. And Abraham responds. This is the first mention in the Bible of the word believe. He believed God. Now, the important thing to understand here is that he believed God. He didn't believe the works that God was speaking about. He didn't believe even the promises. This is not the, 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 the point. He believed God. He believed that God is faithful. He believed in the substance in the of who God is, the person of Yahweh. And in believing in the person of Yahweh, it was equated to him for righteousness. 
He still then asks, he says, I accept that I believe you. And you have now shown me something that my mind cannot compute. I believe you. But, although I believe that, I've seen that, I need to tie the rope to something on this side. I don't have a, a child yet. The rope needs to be tied on both sides. In some way or the other. Right. Now, God is going to tie the rope for him by cutting covenant with him. That's how he's going to tie the rope. Right. So we have believing and faith. Faith is the call of God when he reveals to us the resurrection. Now we've got to understand resurrection, hope, faith here, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We understand as New Jerusalem, but New Jerusalem is only representative of Messiah, the fullness of who Yahweh is after redeeming all that is going to redeem. Yahweh's finished will and work, perfected. That is faith for us. We understand it as, because of the biblical text, as New Jerusalem, a homeland prepared for us, but it speaks to who God is, mm. His faithfulness. It speaks to the relationship between the Father and the Son. And this is the hope of our faith. Mm. So faith is the finished work in resurrection of Yahweh. But the hope of our faith is Him. The fact that He has proven Himself to be trustworthy and faithful. You've got to understand this. Covenant is connected to peace because Shalom which is the Hebraic idea of peace, is absolutely based on covenant. Peace is only, and prosperity is only possible within covenant with Yahweh. Outside of covenant of Yah with Yahweh, no prosperity long-term is possible at all. In keeping covenant, prosperity is guaranteed. Mm. In breaking covenant, the opposite is guaranteed. So when we look at the aspect of the definition of hope as prosperity, to prosper, we again are back to the same definition that we find for peace, and that is covenant. So hope and peace, covenant, now has the same basic root. Prosperity is only possible within covenant with, with Yahweh. Right. So, for us, in the unfolding of God's plan, covenant has now become that we die in baptism and are resurrected. Mm. But more than that, that we are filled with His Spirit and His Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And so covenant for me is eternity, is eternal life. But what I believe is Him as a person, Him being faithful. You see, I can only connect what I believe with who He is. And I, therefore I can believe and put my trust in eternal life because He says He is life. Mm. So I can believe in it. I can only believe and put my trust, my hope in Him. And therefore I can believe in the power and the, the, the dependability of truth. Because He is truth. Mm. 
I'm not trusting in the power of truth separate from him as a person. He is truth. And therefore, I have a hundred percent confidence in the power and the substance of truth because it's him. Mm. Does that make sense? So, I can trust a hundred percent in righteousness, the righteousness that's been imputed to me because it's his righteousness and he is the way. And that's the picture of righteousness. Okay. Now, how does that work inside of our minds? Our constructed um, theory is that the place where the renewal takes place is in the id, the id, part of the brain. This part of the brain that has no um, connection, no access to the outside world, and in a normal person, according to psychology, is unchanging, cannot be, cannot be taught, and it does not learn, it doesn't change. It only develops according and around its um, basic function. And that is reward, survival, and avoiding pain, or minimizing pain. That's basic functions. But, God has taken this basic thing that cannot be changed, cannot grow, cannot learn. And He says, I'll make you free in baptism. And there in the place of that comes the renewed you that is one with the Spirit. This is the reborn creation. You are one with the Spirit. And He puts that in there. That's light. And in God there is no, in Yahweh there is no darkness. And He's good. And so now, how does hope function? You see, in a normal person, ID would send out basic signals mm -hmm. to let the rest of the system, the, the human body, know what basic needs need to be satisfied or pursued. We need to go pursue this need because this is the need that is registered within ID. Now ID is the part of the brain that's most directly connected to the spinal cord. Mm. The spinal cord is an extension of the brain that runs through the spine and is protected by the spine. And this is going to control and animate the rest of the body. The spinal cord is going to have a system where impulses, uh, feelings, nerves, and so forth, through the nervous system, feelings and impulses is fed back into the brain. <coughs> so the brain knows what's happening with the rest of the body. Because if it knows what the hand is feeling, it can register uh, to save the hand should the hand be in danger. And it also is sending impulses throughout the nervous system down the spinal cord to move and coordinate the whole system according to its basic function of survival and prospering and um, fulfilling its basic needs. Right. So, the ID or the place in the brain that's a primal function is directly connected 
to the system that's going to control the rest of your body. And it's going to receive back all the impulses from your entire body, including your face, your nose, your ears, everything. It's going to receive everything back to let it know what you are experiencing, what you need, what you're in need of. If you're cold, it's going to register. Let's find a way to warm ourselves up. Okay. And it's in this place that controls everything that the Holy Spirit comes and lives. So He has now positioned Himself to prosper you, to bless you, to keep you healthy. He knows better how to look after you than you ever knew how to look after you. He's the one that designed you. So the designer and maker of man comes and lives inside of his masterpiece creation. <clears throat> the crowning glory of creation, the most intricate and complex of all creations, all creatures, he, this, this creation is now going to become available to be indwelled by Yahweh the Creator Himself through His Spirit. And His plan is to send signals through your system to believe, to respond according to that which we didn't see with our eyes, but was revealed to us by the Spirit inside of us to the rest of our consciousness. So in believing, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to work to fill us with joy and peace. Joy is a godly aspect. Joy cannot be had or accessed outside of Yahweh. And He's going to take what belongs to Yahweh. There's many scriptures that speaks about Him rejoicing and rejoicing in us. It speaks about that. So He's going to take a, God, a godly characteristic and He's going to fill us with joy. And the word says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Right, so we have just seen by adding joy and adding a multiplication of strength and power in us. And by the same powerful working, He's going to take that thing called peace, shalom, that is based, it has its basis on the agreement between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father in fulfillment. And He's going to fill our system with that. Right? Now, that is going to cause us to overflow with hope. How and why? Because the impulses that is being sent to the rest of your system, and especially ego and superego, is going to come from the center um, uh, HQ of your entire system. And what is filling it up with is light life, peace and joy, eternity, eternity uh, understanding, a constant flood of faith, and faith is the uh, perception of what, what is eternal in Messiah, and you as one with that, that's what He's starting to fill you up with, and if we learn to submit to His governance in us, 
and we stop the process of trying to uphold other value systems and other hopes and we no longer try and respond to these things then the impulses that sent through is going to change the way that you function on the inside because remember superego was filled with a value system that was based on some form of the law mm. and it was based on some conceived ideas created by humanity themselves and the way that superego governs ego and keeps ego in check is and and by 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 doing that keeping id in check is by bringing feelings of guilt and condemnation so superego uh, we don't know exactly how but it has the power of making you feel condemned or guilty or you feel bad because you did something or said something that doesn't measure up to your standards yeah to what you perceive to be right mm. and it all works because it's supposed to do what's beneficial for you within uh, the restraints of society now the word says that now he came and he sets us free from that list of mm. condemnation okay so because of the goodness the life the peace the joy the knowledge of Yahweh and of Yahushua flowing through the spirit now we haven't had time to go into all the workings of the spirit in you will do that next time because of all of that and the cancellation we made the two one and you actually broke down the separating wall and wiped out the list that was against us, super eager now can slowly but surely relax on making you feel guilty all the time. So this is us just starting to look at how this hope is going to work inside of us. <clears throat> so, the working of hope inside of us is no longer based on our imagination or on the next temporary thing that we're going to hope on. Now, too many Christians are still living like that. They're hoping that the Lord is going to provide for them in the next thing, in the next thing. Now, these, this short-term vision hope has to be replaced by ultimate hope. And when we start functioning about in, the, in, the, in the substance of ultimate hope, we have to pay much less um, attention to short-term hope. Mm. <clears throat> this hope, basically, that we are starting to explore works like this. The reality of what now exists within it, or ID, is you in the finished work. Seated in Messiah, conformed to Messiah, and completely redeemed. And this reality now needs to be emanated or signaled to the rest of you. Super ego is like, I'm no longer at enmity with ID or it, because it is perfect. So, 
Now, all of a sudden, superego is the one that's got to catch up because whatever it had before is no longer even uh, 2 or 3% uh, fulfillment when it compares to ID. So now, your mind is set free to be renewed. While ID was dark and selfish, the little bit of what existed in superego had to operate all the time and there was very little space for um, for renewing. Mm. What's coming through to ego from both sides now is going to enable ego to grow in wisdom. Because ego can now Ego's job is to do the math, to consider all the aspects of everyday life, all the dangers, all the possibilities, and come up with the best case scenario. Always, ego is always trying to figure out the best way forward. Always reworking the plan to uh, position you better, to get you into a better place, to prosper you better, to help you survive, avoid pain. Always busy making plans. Now, it can work according to what the Holy Spirit is doing in you regarding peace and joy. And so, all in all, our hope becomes a true substance because it's a rope tying you to the perfect you, mm. your life to the redemption, your need to the provision, and your insecurity, insecurity in what you do not yet know and understand to the person of Yahweh. So, although we still lack understanding, we are tied to the person of Yahweh, we can just believe. But believe is not a vague believing. It's trusting in Him the way Abraham did. He didn't yet know how he was going to give him uh, an inheritance uh, that was being signified by the stars. The question was, I believe, I trust you. You, I put my confidence in, but I don't have a son here. And so we can respond in that way. We go like, there's so much I don't know and understand, but I start with who you are and I find the rope tying to the next step in my circumstances. Mm. So it's not that now we know all the things all the time, but the Holy Spirit has now on the inside connected us via hope, that rope, to the end product of everything, the end result of everything. And if we stop all the faffing in our thought processes and learn to wait on Him um, so that hope can do what a hope is supposed to do, then we can start growing into wisdom much quicker and that maturing process is going to be sped up much faster. Um, stopping the confusion 
has a lot to do with this process of hope. So we will continue next Sunday. I hope this has worked uh, or brought us somewhere along the, the road of understanding this. We'll read one more scripture. <clears throat> so you can page to Psalm 94, and we're going to read verses 17 to 19. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. So we'll continue um, our exploration of connecting our understanding of the brain, but we uh, have asked Haley to share with us um, what she shared with us uh, as far as her personal uh, revelation and the way that she has come to understand and formulate <coughs> what she is understanding currently in light of last week's teaching. And, um, and she has really been a practical example of this renewal renewal on the inside where um, from where she's come and to this point and how she's carrying herself how she's going through life with huge challenges at the moment uh, she's such a witness to the truth of what really happens inside of us when we are renewed and set free from the old man and so uh, the rest of this teaching will be um, Hayley sharing with us hello saints I have been studying Romans 8 for the past few weeks and with my studies I found that it tied in quite well with the teachings that we were doing. And so I've been asked to share some of what the Lord has shown me. And firstly, I want to share a little bit about where I come from. So um, in my mid-teens, I was exposed to um, abuse by older men. I wasn't aware at that stage that there were sexual predators out there. Um, so I had quite a bit of trauma. Um, I was quite young. So um, there was a lot of pain and hurt. And even though I was taken out of that situation, I mean, we moved from one city to another to get away from those men. Um, I still felt a lot of pain and trauma and I was still going through school and so I found ways to deal with it because um, my family didn't really have the resources to help me with um, counseling and therapy. So what I did was I, f I drank, I took drugs, I did everything. I had new relationships from one to another to try and calm the pain um, and find sort of uh, 
relief, um, even though it was temporary. Um, um, I then, one of my friends suggested that I join the church where they were. Um, I was quite happy to do anything at that stage because drinking and drugs and everything else wasn't really working anymore and I wanted something because I needed relief from, I mean, that stage was just really bad. So um, I went to the church and when I walked in there, there was so much happiness and the people looked like they had it all together. And I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is where I'm going to find something that's going to just lift me out of this hell that I was in. Um, and I really was in hell. So the very first altar call, I was right up there. I was the first one up there with my hands in the air. Please, God, save me from this. And I mean, I felt like there was a change. Um, I thought that, you know, I started reading the Bible. Um, I started praying to God and I did everything. I went to church on a Sunday. Mondays were prayer meetings. Wednesdays was life group. Friday was youth. Saturday was ministering, handing out flyers in town. So I spent a lot of time, keep, a lot of time keeping my mind busy so that I didn't have to kind of deal with the past experiences. Um, and when, when I did pray about it and when people did pray for me, um, I didn't really want to deal with, with what was happening, what, what happened in the past. So, um, I mean, I would have people praying, saying all these wonderful things that I'm going to be a prophet and I'm going to, you know, all these wonderful things are going to happen. And so I liked it. I liked, I went to church and that's where I found joy and peace. Um, but the truth is, I actually would go home in the evenings and my parents were still drinking. Um, my environment at home was not great. Um, and I was still very unhappy. And I found myself in another relationship, another abusive relationship, even being a Christian and being in church. And this guy was also in church and he actually would beat me. He would smack me. He would um, rip my jersey one night, threw me out the house, called me Jezebel because I wanted to give him a kiss. So, I mean, even in church, you know, the same sort of experiences were haunting me. Um, and honestly, I ended up drinking again and going back to my old ways. Yeah, so then I ended up doing what I did before. And what I realized just with studying Romans 8 is that I was not walking in the spirit. I was still walking in the flesh and the desires of the flesh. And I still wanted to feel good about myself. And I was doing it myself. And so this is what has actually led me to share what, um, what the Lord has shown me. Okay, so um, so in Romans 8 verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh, 
set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if the Lord dwells in your primal brain, which is what we've been studying, the id, this position of the Holy Spirit would explain why the memory of trauma does not inflict the same pain as it did before baptism. Even the thoughts or the desires of a sin, such as drinking or overeating or popping a pill, it does not trigger the reward response as it did before. And that feeling, that connection, it doesn't trigger that response. So as trauma survivors and addicts, as it were, those who were inflicted by this connection and this feeling cannot be kept in bondage by their past experiences because there is no longer a connection. So there's no condemnation, which Romans 8 verse 1 says as well. There's no condemnation for those who are in Messiah, Yahushua. Okay, so this leads me to Romans 8 verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So, you can remember the past experiences, but there's no impulse to react. In Romans 8 verse 10, And if Messiah is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Yahushua from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This theoretical construct brings up the concept that it could be possible that from this place of control in the new ID, id that the Lord can deconstruct these lies and ideas created in us by our parents, our abusers and the devil. He would be able to send the impulses to you to change your action and your response very quickly and effectively when we want to react to something or a memory. It would be so easy because he's right at the center of everything and all communication comes from him as long as we obey his commandments. His commands. This is very important. This is why we have to fill ourselves to the brim and overflowing with the word of God. So what is speaking in tongues? This is another question that I've had for many years. But it makes sense. If he's at the control center, then surely he can control and pray in utterings that we can't understand. Although this starts with us obeying and opening our mouths. And this is something we do together with him 
It's so primitive, almost to the point of our creation, possibly before language existed, outside of time. It could also be why it feels so good. It's edifying, it's uplifting, and that explains also the reward feeling that you get when you're playing in, praying in tongues because it's at that point in the primitive brain. Okay, Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he searches, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, the will of Yahweh. So then it makes sense that once all of this stuff, the connection to the desires for rewards and fear of pain or hurt, once this is out of the way, and since we desire his will for our lives as his children, surely it would be easy for Yahweh to then speak through us when we are witnessing. It would be easy for him to send the correct and true impulses, words and actions or phrases, the answers we need to give, even while we are speaking in real time. But this requires us to be completely filled with the word of God.